Hey, it's Barbara Phillips with NPBO, and I wanted to give you a heads up on a webinar that we have coming up Thursday, May 16th, and it will be with a certified healthcare privacy person who has been in charge of a very large healthcare organization and their privacy compliance, HIPAA, and all of that sort of thing. And I think it's very important that all clinicians attend this one because HIPAA affects all of us. And so you can get more information about that at npbusiness.org forward slash privacy matters. And just another quick heads up after that, in June, we'll be talking with someone who has been in charge of the IT compliance to protect the organization. And so this one will be geared toward how do you protect yourself as well as your practice. And I'll be sharing more information about that later. So let's move on with the podcast. Collaboration issues that you as a nurse practitioner want to avoid. I see these coming up quite frequently, and I know a lot of nurse practitioners are looking for collaborators for their practice. So that's what we're going to talk about today on episode number 84 of the NP Business Matters podcast. Hello and welcome to the NP Business Matters podcast, the show that's dedicated to helping nurse practitioners just like you succeed in business. I'm your host, Barbara C. Phillips, founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner. And since 2007, we've been working with you on the business of being a nurse practitioner, providing education, resources, and support as you start, grow, and operate your own practice. Whether you're a seasoned entrepreneur or just getting started, this podcast is designed to help you navigate the challenges and the opportunities of running your own practice. I'll cover a wide range of topics from startup and finance to marketing and operations. I invite you to subscribe and listen to each episode for tips, insights, how-tos that you need to succeed. To learn more about NPBO and our resources, visit us at npbusiness.org. Hello and welcome or welcome back. I'm Barbara C. Phillips, your host of the NP Business Matters podcast. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about collaboration issues. So today we still have a large number of states that require some sort of physician involvement slash collaboration in your nurse practitioner practice. It doesn't matter if you're in your own practice or if you're self-employed, we still see that requirement in many states. I'm also frequently seeing a lot of posts and questions, both in our private membership as well as in our Facebook group, about finding a collaborator and some of the issues that are coming up with that. Now, this week, actually, earlier in the week, during our members-only private office hours, where people get a chance to have one-on-one meetings with me, I heard a story that left me very uncomfortable, had me on the verge of fuming. And I won't mention names of the people involved or the businesses involved or even the location, but it did prompt me to put this quick podcast together so that we can talk about some things that you need to watch out for. Let's just dive into it. Now, depending on where you live and practice, you're going to run into all sorts of collaboration issues, or at least know somebody who has. So even if you are in a a full practice authority state, FPA for short, 
You may not have to have a collaborative practice agreement with anyone, but perhaps you know of others that do. And if you do, send this podcast to them, share it with them so that they can avoid some of the trials and tribulations that we see NPs going through. So here's the story that kind of got me riled up earlier this week. So an NP that I'm working with, she used a service that provides a service for NPs to help them find a collaborator. Now, there are a ton of different services out there just to make it easier when you haven't been able to find a collaborator. And I'll talk a little bit more about the pros and cons of these services and the best way to navigate them. But suffice it to say for now that this NP paid for her service and was soon presented with a potential candidate. Now, they got together, they met, they bonded, they thought that they could really work together. However, a couple of issues came up, and this is where I'm having a little bit of a problem. First of all, the physician, it turns out, was not working in a clinical arena, and I'm not quite clear if she had clinical experience or not, but she was a researcher. She was not working in a clinical area. This NP is putting together a primary care practice. So that right there kind of makes me feel like this would not be a good collaborator for this person, and I'll talk a little bit about why that is in a moment. But the second issue that came up really had me wondering about the company. This physician did not carry any, and I mean none, liability insurance. No liability insurance whatsoever. No malpractice insurance. Therefore, when this NP went and started looking into it and talking with several different malpractice insurance carriers for her practice that she was putting together... She found out she wouldn't be able to get that writer for the physician because the physician has to have their own malpractice insurance. What happens when we end up having to add our collaborators to our insurance is that they actually tag onto the primary malpractice insurance so that they will then cover. But without that, they will not write a policy, period, end of subject. So this physician really wasn't the best person for this nurse practitioner on many, many levels. Now, this NP is trying to get her money back or find a way to resolve this, and nobody is returning her emails or her phone calls. And so that's an issue, regardless of who the company is. That's just pretty poor customer service. Another NP felt stuck in the water this week when she found out that her collaborator that she had lined up was actually under investigation for fraud. And others have complained to me about the fees. Sometimes they've used the term, and I'll put it in quotation marks, extortion. We also have issues with lack of communication and failure to comply with state rules. So what is a nurse practitioner supposed to do, right? We have to have collaborators in many places. So let's talk about that. Now, before I move on, I just want to mention I'm going to be sharing with you some resources, uh, links to different articles and that sort of thing. And you're going to find everything over at the show notes at npbusiness.org forward slash 84. Now, at the time of this podcast, there are 27 states 
plus the District of Columbia, plus two U.S. territories that have full practice authority. We have a total of 355,000 nurse practitioners that are licensed currently in the United States. Now, some of those states that do not have full practice authority or FPA are some pretty heavily NP populated states. So I really can't say that 52% have full practice authority or anything like that. And I'm sure AANP may have those numbers, but I don't have those numbers. The bottom line is, is we still have 25 states that require some level of physician involvement in the NP practice. Now, this can range from simply a signature on a piece of paper, that attestation, to requirements for office visits, chart review, reviewing prescriptions, or even prescription restrictions. Every state is going to be a little bit different in how they apply the rules and regulations. And I will link to the page on AANP's site that talks about the different practice environments for each of the states. So you can currently explore your own state, or perhaps you're looking at another state that you want to take a look at perhaps moving to. So I'll have that in our show notes. Now, the first step for you, obviously, is to determine what is needed in your state. Do you have full practice authority? Do you not? If you do not have full practice authority, what does that mean? Because again, it's going to be different for each and every state. When you start looking at what the collaboration rules are in your state, and I think it's really important that you read the rules and regulations for it, don't forget to look at the physician rules and regulations just in case they're interpreting collaboration a little bit differently. You're going to need to play both games, if you will. This week, I did receive a question again from a nurse practitioner about how she might sidestep collaboration issues in her restrictive state so that she can do some kind of practice. And let me tell you right now, that question is not for anybody but the board of nursing, but the people who are enforcing the rules. So if you come to me and tell me that, well, if I don't prescribe medications, can I not get a collaborator? I'm going to tell you to go to your board of nursing and anybody else should. Nobody should tell you whether that's okay or not okay. So you need to go to your board of nursing, discuss with them what it is that you want to do, find out if you still are going to be required to have a collaborator in whatever state you are in. On the off chance that they're going to say, nope, you're good, you do not need a collaborator to do, say, this kind of coaching, for instance, or consultations, then make sure you have that in writing in case anything ever comes up. Before I go too far, let's talk about the issue of telehealth and collaboration because this comes up frequently, particularly nurse practitioners that are in a restricted state and they want to maybe work with patients that are through telehealth that are in a full practice state. And so they look at, say, As an example, magically through the Wi-Fi network, transporting themselves 
from Texas to, say, Arizona or Washington or Oregon or something else like that. Here's the issue, and it's my understanding, and I'm also going to link to a recent article, a 2023 article that was published in the Journal of Nurse Practitioners, where they talk about this rule that I'm about to talk about, because I've been challenged all over the place about it. So my understanding, after talking with several people, is that if you are going to do telehealth, you need to still operate under the rules and regulations of the state in which you are physically located, the state that you reside, your home state. If you are going to see a patient in another state, you also need to follow the rules and regulations in that state. Therefore, if you are in Texas or Missouri or Michigan, you need to have that collaborating physician to do telehealth and you'll need to follow the rules and regulations in the state in which the patient is at. So I I hope that makes it clear my understanding and I will again link to this article and it'll be at our show notes at npbusiness.org forward slash 84. So the bottom line for telehealth is if either of you are in a restrictive state and require collaboration, you're going to have to comply with those rules and regulations. So that's just something to keep in mind when you start looking at how can I sidestep the restrictive rules in my particular state. Before we leave this particular issue, let's talk about a question that I often get, and there's to be some confusion about it. A lot of people say, well, I have a compact license to this state. Can't I go ahead and do X, Y, Z? And the case there is, no, you cannot. First of all, we don't have, I think maybe there's one or two states that are in an APRN compact, but that does not exist for the most of us. And quite frankly, I'm not even sure how it would happen because each state has its own rules and regulations and none of them really match, even in full practice states. So again, this just goes back to the point that you're going to have to follow the rules and regulations for your state and the state in which your patient is located. I thought I would talk a little bit about why do we even need a collaborator to begin with? And I want to leave out the potential political issues, territorial issues, power trip issues out of this conversation. The way that I see it and, and how I imagine that the initial intent behind collaboration was when we started, there was nothing like us out there, right? There were no nurse practitioners. Nobody really knew what we would be able to do. How would we do it? And so the whole idea of collaboration to me was kind of a forced structure to have that mentor behind you, that person with a little more clinical expertise, or at the time, probably a lot more expertise in clinical matters than we had when we were first emerging with this new role of advanced practice nurses. However, we've obviously come a long way since then. Plenty of studies show that we are safe and effective providers. 
the way that I also see this is we don't practice in a vacuum and nobody does. Every responsible provider out there is going to network with their colleagues. They're going to refer on, they're going to do consults. And so in my mind, we don't necessarily need this anymore, but my mind has nothing to do with the rules and regulations, right? So I digressed just a little bit, but getting back to what we need in that collaborator, I would recommend that you stick with somebody who is an experienced clinician in the area in which you work. In the example I gave in the beginning, a researcher who does not do clinical work is not going to be appropriate for primary care. From what I've seen over the years as well, I would say please do not stop with one collaborator. Nurse practitioners have found themselves dead in the water, if you will, in terms of their practice and patients waiting to be seen when that physician stops being the collaborator. And it doesn't matter whatever the reason for that collaborator is. I mean, I have seen collaborators who have had sudden death, but I've also seen people who have just said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I've heard of people again, you know, they've suddenly lost their license or they were suddenly, whatever the case may be. So you always want to have that backup in place. Let's assume now that you've already established you need a collaborator and you know exactly what you need of that collaborator, and you fully understand that you're going to have a couple of collaborators in your back pocket as well. So where do you find these people? This is probably one of the most common things that I see. I'm looking for a collaborator in Ohio, in Michigan, in Texas, in California. Where do you find these collaborators? I like to think of it as a circle, if you will, and you want to start in that inner circle. Who do you know? Who are the physicians that you have worked with who may be willing to do this and and can do this? Quite frankly, if you are in a large organization and you want to hit up some of the physicians that you've been working for over the years, their contracts may prohibit them from accepting collaborative relationships, if you will, outside of their employment. So that may come up as an issue as well. So just start asking around in your inner circle, that your colleagues that you work with, physicians that you work with, other NPs, go to local organizations and start networking and see what you can find. The thing to do when you are turned down, no, I'm not available, or no, I'm not interested, or whatever the case may be, just simply say, thanks for letting me know. Can you recommend somebody who may be available to provide collaborative services? And so I would just do that over and over again. Just because someone says no doesn't mean that they don't know somebody who may be available. Before you start hitting up some of these services, I would look at posting an ad on indeed.com. And of course, I'll have the link for you. I know several nurse practitioners have been able to find great candidates by using that kind of a service. The other one to look at as well that I only recently heard about is um, ZipRecruiter. One nurse practitioner told me she was going to be using it because it worked for a colleague. Some nurse practitioners have posted just on social media, Instagram, Facebook, 
and have been able to either find a person through a direct response or a referral on the social media platforms. So don't forget that as well. If all else fails and you want to consider one of these services that offer to find a collaborator for you, then that's an option. Now, there are many services available. Not all of them are created equally, obviously. Some are physician-owned, some are NP-owned, and still others are owned by entrepreneurs who saw a need for a service. Every single one of them have their pros and cons. Now, before you decide to sign on that dotted line, first, I think it's crucial that you put together your wish list of what it is you need and want in a collaborator. You want to then go out and start shopping around at the different services carefully, and I mean carefully, review their terms of service. Not doing so can get you into trouble later. Look at the reviews, ask around what services that others have used and what their experience was. Were they able to find somebody? What if that person leaves? What are, how is the service going to find another person? How many people do they present to them as potential candidates? In my idea, these companies should be vetting these people who sign up to be collaborators with them and to be available. That is something that they should be doing, and perhaps that isn't always done. You also want to have in mind your budget about how much are you willing to pay. And you're not only going to be paying the collaborator, but you have to pay some kind of a finder's fee. Think of these companies such as you would with a headhunter or a recruiter that is looking to place somebody in a job. It is really no different than that. And usually the hiring company that is, say, looking for another nurse practitioner is going to pay a fee to that organization to help them find an employee. So this is exactly the same. You also want to know, before you sign the dotted line, how do you work through any problems with them? What is their process to troubleshoot any kind of issues? But let's say that you have found somebody now, okay? You have found the the perfect physician to work with you. You know it's going to work out well. How do you avoid further problems? Well, there's no guarantee, obviously, with any of this. But let's just say that you have that person in front of you. What I would recommend now is that you go ahead and evaluate them as if they were going to be employees in your company. So just like if you're bringing a nurse practitioner into your company or an MA into your company, you want to evaluate them the same way. Is their license active? Is it free of any problems or restrictions? You can always check the National Practitioner's Data Bank in order to find out if there are any problems with this person. Obviously, if there have been, it could certainly affect anything happening in terms of if there was credentialing that needed to happen. And let me sidestep this a little bit. There are some, in some restricted states, insurance companies do require that your collaborator be credentialed with them as well. So again, that is something that you want to pay attention to. 
be sure and ask them about their malpractice insurance because I guess not everybody carries malpractice insurance. You might ask them about the insurance companies that they're doing business with currently. Who are they already credentialed with? Who do they currently work for? And are there problems for them to then work with you? Again, some may have those contracts that might prohibit them from working with you, and perhaps they're not even really aware of that. So you do want to bring that up. You may even want to consider doing a background check and or a drug test. And it's crazy that we even have to say these kinds of things, but we do. If everything looks good with this person and they're a good fit for you, then you can proceed moving forward with creating a collaborative practice agreement. Now, a CPA or collaborative practice agreement is a legally binding document. And when you think of agreements, they they really are just contracts. It's just a different word for a contract. So the agreement is written on paper. It's going to be legally binding. And I see all the time people asking for, can I see what your collaborative practice agreement looks like? Can Do you have a template that you will share? This kind of things. There are a few boards of nursing out there that do have suggested templates that you can use. However, when you start looking at somebody else's document, it really, you can't just use it as is. You don't know how old that document is. You don't know if it's up to the current rules and regulations for your state. And again, remember, these are legally binding documents. Now, some people will use an attorney for these. Others don't. And you'll just have to make that decision for yourself. Either way, there are some things that you want to include in that agreement. And I've posted an article about these a while back, and it's still pretty pertinent. So I will again link to that in the show notes. But in general, you want to include anything that has to do with your state rules and regulations about collaboration. You know, how often is a visit required? How many charts need to sign off? What are the responsibilities of both parties? That needs to be in this agreement. I'd also be very clear about what it is that you think you need. For example, maybe you're at a stage in your career where you're going to need a little more hand-holding, a little bit more guidance, or perhaps you're more hands-free. You need to include that if you are needing more. So, you know, think about it this way. The collaborative practice agreement or any agreement or any contract is really just what you are agreeing to and then writing it down so that it can be a memory jogger if anything does come up. Other information that you want to include in this agreement is, of course, information about payment. How much are you paying? When are you paying? How are you doing it? Now, as a little sidestep here as well, remember that physician is not going to be your employee. You are contracting for their collaborative practice services. So you're going to be paying them on a 1099. All agreements and contracts will also include uh, start and stop dates, who is involved, 
clauses about the notices that need to be done. So a notice of intent to not renew the contract or to leave the contract. You definitely want that in there. Just like in our jobs, oftentimes standard is two weeks to a month's notice before you are leaving. You want something like that in your agreement so that you aren't finding yourself high and dry. You also need to have some kind of a notice about how soon this contract can be renegotiated if necessary. And I think it's a really good idea to always have a clause in any kind of an agreement or contract that when, and I say when because I do believe it's when, when your state becomes full practice authority, that that contract becomes null and void. That may not happen for many years, depending on where you are and how far you've come in the process, or it can happen tomorrow for you. Either way, I think it will happen for all of us. We all eventually will have full practice authority. So make sure that you do get that into your contract so that you are not being held to a contract when you no longer need it. Now, if you do need more information on this topic, we do have a, a, an ebook slash course available on collaborative practice agreements, and you'll find a link to that in our show notes. I appreciate the time that you have taken to listen to this podcast today. I really look forward to a time when talk of collaborative practice agreements and having to have a collaborating physician is things of the past, that we will come to a time when we no longer need this. But in the meantime, we do. And so I hope this makes it easier and helps you avoid some of the coming problems that seem to plague NPs in trying to find and work with collaborating physicians. I truly thank you for sharing this episode with your colleagues, for leaving us a rating, adding your experiences over at the show notes at npbusiness.org. Because every time you do that, everybody gets to learn a little bit. And I know that everybody has a different experience with collaborating physicians. And of course, we all need to understand the business of being a nurse practitioner. So I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of the NP Business Matters podcast. Bye-bye now.